Listen, Stretch, you're not here to enjoy yourself. You're here to introduce to the audience on uh, CKUT West Indian Rhythms. And it's my greatest pleasure to welcome to the microphone the cultural ambassador, two Barbados, the right honorable Dr. Anthony Carter. And I know him as Gabby. Hello, sir. Hi, how are you, sir? I am fine, thank you. In your company makes me even finer. Uh, great, great. Nice to see you. Same you're here. In fine form. Pardon me? You're looking in fine form. Just like you, sir. We are trying to hide from that thing, you know what I mean? Um, it's yes. all over the world. Can I drop that? Uh, can I drop the the, 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 the title a little bit and just say Gabby? Of course. All right. Of course. Um, uh, I, I just, uh, <laughs> you know, as a, a young man growing up with your music, I must say, um, today we bit off a bit more than we can chew. Because the historic factor behind your name, I, I was trying to pick up some stories. But what can I talk to Gabby about? But it's too much. So, um, I'm just going to ask you one or two questions because there's a young man. I tell you when I'm introducing you to him, there's a young man that has impressed me immensely and I'm going to introduce you to him and you're going to hear why, you know. Um, I just, uh, <laughs> I remember once a song that came out that the government of Barbados wanted to bring cadavers to, for burial in the country and Gabby never eased up. It was all on the radio in Jamaica. Tell us a little bit about that story because I never, I, I never got the, the full effect. What was happening then? Okay. Um, the, there was a medical school, American Medical School in Grenada. And mm -hmm. when the invasion began, the Americans decided to bring the medical bodies there for experiment. Oh. Barbados, you see. So, um, the, the, the doctors and so on did not mind them bringing it. But what the doctors were doing is insisting that they tell the medical fraternity what they died from. And they were not willing to do so. So, you know, it was like everybody was quiet about it. Nobody saying anything. And I got wind of it <laughs> that they had brought these bodies or were about to, to bring these bodies from Grenada, St. George's University was the name of the place, mm -hmm. um, into Barbados, and none of us knew what the people died from, were oh. these cadavers. Oh. And at the time, the, the word cadaver was not a very well-known word in Barbados. It was a dead people, or the deceased, <laughs> or something like that, who passed, or, you know, yes, something like that. But never cadaver. Right. So I said, I need that word cadaver. Mm -hmm. And I am going to write a song entitled Cadavers. <laughs> and so I wrote the song. And of course, the government felt offended or something like uh, not quite in favor of it. Right. So they banned it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> this is so ironic. Jamaica. Canada, Canada, St. Lucia, Dominica, St. Kitt, Nevis, Anguilla, the entire Eastern Caribbean and Jamaica picked up the song and just yes. played it on the radio almost non-stop. And yes. so it became a very popular song. <laughs> and, and that did a lot, lot for my career. Uh, apart from two other songs, which would have been Boots and Jack, is that when I spoke about the, the Beaches and how, you know, we wanted to maintain our beaches as private and not public, not even one. That I remember too, public. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, that cadaver thing, because I was in Jamaica when they were playing it 
constantly. Um, there was this young man who went to UWI and he was playing it constantly on RGR. And I never got to find out what it is. And now I thank you for, um, um, that information. But you know, folks, before I get on any, any further, I just want to enjoy introduce what this gentleman has done. I had no idea. I know you are a bit controversial, don't get me wrong. Boots and so forth and so forth. But to see what you have accomplished, um, um, uh, the Calypso Monarch title, you have won that so many times, 1977, 99, 2000, 2010. Um, but the, one of your greatest achievement is being named cultural ambassador of Barbados. What does that entail? Yeah, well, it simply means that, um, I am the one, the first one that was appointed by cabinet. To the position we now have four. Mm -hmm. Those four would be uh, Alison Hines, ah, uh, uh, Red Classic Bike, mm. myself. So, um, you know, the government declared that, and so on. That for the first seven years, I was the only cultural ambassador Barbados had. And um, it meant that I had to go to several countries and try to uh, more or less embellish or uh, spread the name of Barbados in these countries. And also to have people come uh, to cultural exchanges and, you know, lectures, performances, etc., etc. All right. And I, I, in one of those trips, I went to Nigeria. Wow, yes. And I was... I was made an African chief in Nigeria uh, by the Yoruba people. So my um, name in the, uh, amongst the Yoruba people is Chief Omowale. Mm. And I never knew what Omowale meant until I went to Nigeria. And Omowale simply means our son has returned to us. Mm. So that, yeah, that, that's a, that's a major um that's a major honor, man. I I don't know what I I'm totally impressed. Um, I see in 2012 you were awarded an honorary Doctor of Letter degree by the University of the West Indies. I must say, congrats, yeah. congrats, because they don't just throw those things away; they give it to people who <laughs> deserves it. Thank you very much. Thank you. And um, two years ago now, um, because it's a new year, in uh, 2018, November, mm -hmm. I was in the country's highest honor, ah. which is equivalent to Sir. But I had I had turned down the Sir uh, because I had an option. So, and the option was to have myself being addressed as uh, Doctor the Most Honorable. So um, that's the title. I'm the first person in Barbados to receive that um, highest award because we are we're preparing for maybe become a republic that we wouldn't use the sir anymore. So um, anyone honored now with the highest award, like the Governor General, uh, Cricketer Desmond Haynes, and several other people now, uh, the former Principal of the University of West Indies, Eugene uh, Barato. She was the second person. We, we were given the honor on the same day at Kensington Oval in the independence ceremony. And, um, you know, so I, I'm very proud of that award because there's no higher award that if one can achieve in Barbados. So I'm really grateful to the people and the government of Barbados for bestowing on me the country's highest honor. Yes, well deserved. Well deserved. Deserved. I am. Um, I am just sitting here thinking. Um, you know, uh, uh, you started off as a Calypsonian. Yes. And you mellowed. In fact, the first first competition I entered. Yes. Was a village fire competition. I was six years old. Wow. Fortunate that we actually won, but I always tell people I had nothing to do with that win. 
because I believe it was perhaps the worst singer on that evening. Because we had really great singers out of my village, including people like Jackie Opel. Ah. So, um, you know, we, we grew up in the same village, one one gap away from each other, mm. uh, which is Chapman area. And, um, you know, that was my baptism, so to speak, in, um, in the art mm. of musicality. Right. And then I then went on and, uh, when I reached St. Mary's school, there was a, a, a Jamaican lady by the name of Miss Linton. I never knew her first name, but she was my form and school teacher. Oh. And she loved the arts. And she is the first person to encourage me to be on stage as an individual. So she would write poems or something. She would have poems and ask me and a girl named Juliet um, Bino mm-hmm. to, um, to, to, to recite these poems and so on. And she thought that I did a fairly good job. And so at, at Christmas time, we used to have a, a like a pantomime kind of thing. And again, I would be asked to come on stage and perform and sing and stuff like that. So that was at primary school. But then when I went to secondary school, we had a music teacher called UC Hackett. Ah. And he was the one that introduced me to like folk songs. But they were all kind of British folk songs, you know, like... But I had liked the melodies and so on. So I learned songs like Danny Boy and, you know, other British folk songs and so on. And I just liked these folks. So I didn't care where they came from. I just loved them. Right. You just and loved them. And then after that, when I was a young teenager, I got introduced to some of Harry Belafonte's work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and other, other, um, artists who sang folk music. And I got involved with that. And then, um, going to Sunday school and so on, uh, my brother always would push me to go on stage and do slight <laughs> things and I know that short, short plays and all that. So I got involved with theater from at the Sunday school. So when I went to the United States as a 23 year old, I was able then to get into, uh, something called the Barbies Theater Workshop of New York City. Mm-hmm. And myself, Megan friend of mine called Maureen Denton. He wrote this play and, and we were the main actors in this play. Oh, you became an actor. So, and that's how I got into theater then. Ah. You know. Gabby. And a grand we haven't got much time because I, I want to put you on to a young man. And I promise him that it would be around this time here because he's going to grill you. So make sure you have all your answers. No, he's not going <laughs> to grill you. He, he, he is one of the biggest fan of yours in this city. And I didn't know that until we were talking because I, I have to, I have to give credit to Miss Jewel Jones uh, from Beautiful Barbados also who say you have to interview Gabby. But listen to me, Gabby, and you have to promise me now. They say a promise is a comfort to a fool, but I'm a Jamaican, so you know I'm no fool. You have to come back after because I see some things here I want to talk to you about. I, I, yeah. I, you amazes me. All right. So I'm going to turn you over to this young man. Simply goes by the name of Drew. Drew, you're there. He might be hiding, you know. <laughs> ah, well, you have your guests and at the moment, so go right ahead. I know you're going to do a good job here now. Uh, this is one of my biggest contributors to the program. Um, uh, I keep seeing uh, the, 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 Sir Anthony Carter. And, uh, <laughs> uh, That's I don't use it, sir. Okay. All right. Drew, it's all yours. I'm going to sit back and listen to you go at this because I know you're going to do good. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say welcome. Welcome to CQUT, the Honorable Dr. Gary Carter. It's a pleasure to meet you today. Thank you. And it's my pleasure to meet you as well. Yeah, you know I me mean? as a little boy growing up in Barbados, I really love your music and I remember staying up late at night and if I'm correct, it was the battleground calypso tent that you were part of. 
And yeah. later, I would always... Actually, yeah. I was the one uh, who was managing that tech and um, everything, you know, writing vast majority of the songs, being MC sometimes, the guy who would put down the chairs, the, the, you know, the guy who would write the advertisements for the people to come. I was doing a lot of things in Mahabharat for quite some time. Yeah, I remember like being a kid and listening to those uh, late night. Remember the, the text used to come on at late night and your tent was one of my favorites. And I got to say, you were my idol growing up. You know what I mean? Sounds like these, sounds like uh, this one is one of my favorite. I know it's uh, it's not really a Calypso song. It's more of a folk song. And I know yep. this is a favorite of a lot of Asians. What's it? Yeah, that so tell, tell me the story behind that song. Oh, well, like I had mentioned before, that's where myself and people like Jackie Opel grew up, and it was a neighborhood that produced a lot of singers and also a lot of athletes. Like, we had a girl called Lorna, and um, she was a, um, a very good athlete. In fact, um, she broke the world's indoor. 100 meters at Madison Square Garden, you know, and she she was also from there, and um, we I don't know, we had a football team that was the champion football team in the country at the time, uh, Everton Club, um, you know, uh, and we we produced some of the best water polo players in Barbados at the time. Um, so it meant so much to me um, that Emerson and like and Mary's church was just like a hundred yards away, and um, and in that church you had people like Armand Scott, a guy called Merlin um, Watts, called Lion Man, and some other really fine singers in in the church choir as well. So the neighborhood meant a lot to me. And that's where my grandmother raised us and my mother, my uncles, because my father had gone early. And it was like a real family down there, right? And it was also like a fishing village because I was able then to walk to the beach from there. We had, uh, believe it or not, an island, another island called Pelican Island, which was destroyed um, between 1958 and 1961. Which I always say was the biggest mistake environmentally Barbados has ever made. Uh, it was the only place that had a brown uh, sand beach and not a white sand beach like all the rest of Barbados. And um, 
you know, that's that's the kind of area we grew up in, and we had like little uh, playing fields and so on that that we played on, and you know, fly your kites is uh, is cooped uh, with the scooters, uh, uh, homemade of course. With uh, pitch marbles, with, with, you know, we did street racing, with, and that's where I honed my skills as a road tennis player. And believe it or not, I became the island's first national champion in road tennis. And there's a monument in Warren uh, in my honor for being the, the first road tennis champion of Barbados. Yeah, and so what, what what was the real story behind uh, this so, song? Because I know there was a kind of... Yeah, uh, so what happened is that um, the, the then administration uh, said that they would move us to build a sewage plant. Now, in all of my life, I had never heard of a sewage plant in the city, in any country. They usually put it somewhere uh, obscure or at least out of the way of people because of things like uh, bad stents and, and other reasons. So, um, at the time, Billy Miller was our representative for the city of Bridgetown, which Emerson is in, and she assured us that we would not have to move once she is elected. So, of course, all of our people voted for her because we didn't want to move. And then when the election was over, maybe about six weeks later, she told us, unfortunately, Mr. Sandy Fredholm had already signed the agreement with whoever it was, I don't know if it was the bank or who, that this storage plant had to be built and built exactly there at Emerton, and that she had no control over it at all. So we were moved to Clapham, where I am still today. But then I became the president of the Clapham Community Council. And, uh, you know, I had done stuff like community-wise, like but not the first Clapham Day, the first Emerton Day, and things like that, you know, along with my cousin, Al Batson, and, and uh, a few other people. Um, to commemorate the movement from Emerton to Clapham. And if you speak to anyone born in Emerton uh, and Chapman's Lane area today, and you ask them if they had to choose to live between here and there, they would choose there. Even though it would be termed a, a depressed area or it's in dilapidated conditions or things of that nature. But the point is that the Emerton people in their heart and soul are Chapman's Lane and Emerton people, and even though they live in other places. Because remember, they were scattered, as I said in the song. So some went to the Pines, some went to Wildey, some went to Deacons, um, some went here to Clapham, and in other parts of, of Barbados and St. Michael in particular. Yeah, I know you mentioned before that at uh, the age of six, you won you won a title. So going back to... I was part of the choir that won the church. <laughs> part, of the, part of the choir that... So what, what made you got into the Calypso competition? You want to go back to uh, when you won your Group. first title, 1968. My friend, Charles Smith, who sang under the Subiquet, Romeo. Romy had entered the competition when he was 15. And he kept encouraging me to come to, to go to the competition. That those days we used to, as we would call it, line, you know, in Westbury Road. I had a guy called Uchi that could play guitar, but only in one key, key of C. So we learned to sing all calypsos in the steel key. But since then, of course, I ventured out, learned to play a guitar myself, mostly self-taught, and um, and I was able to sing in other keys. But Romeo encouraged me to come this conference. He said, no, nah, man. So for two years, I told him, no, no. Then I said, man, I'm not ready yet. So then at age 13, I entered the competition. And lo and behold, I came third. Romeo came second, and Sedan won. And from there, I was bitten by this thing called Calypso. My first, first competition was against a person who just died, the wedding person, in a pop competition in 64. And Jake beat us like really bad. And then, um, 
was convicted of fight at the end of the next year in the first competition. I came third, and then I didn't go in again in 1968, and I won 68, and I won 69, and then, you know, I kept winning periodically. And I now have like nine political titles that I won plus. A lot of songs I wrote for other artists like Reiner, Rasside, and some of that one world artists and stuff. And um, collaborated with other artists. Too many, too numerous to mention, like Blood, uh, Alison Hines, Reiner, Rasside, Pompey, Punka, PC, Tassa, Biggie Irie, uh, you know, Mr. Dale, uh, uh, Crystal Cummings Beckles. Adrian Clark, and I could go on and on and on. So, all overall, I've written for more than a hundred other Barbadian artists um, in in uh, in the political genre. Okay, so I know, like, besides uh, writing for other artists and you won in those winning those titles, you have a strong passion for folk. <laughs> you know, what I mean, what 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 drives this passion that you have for folk, folk music? Like I told you before, the early times, and Elambe Motley himself, who is Mia Motley's uncle, by the way, who is there in Jamaica now for the last 30 years, he, he told me that I should not depend on a band. Yes, that he felt like a single enough and favorite enough to accompany myself, and that I should concentrate on folk songs like that, and even some of the calypsos. So, I took his advice, and my very first folk, uh, concert uh, was done at Yarba Yard, which was his place, uh, which he got from his father, um, uh, Edie Motley, Dagger uh, Motley, who was the mayor of Bridgetown, which is who is also Mayor Motley's grandfather. So, um, Elambia is who encouraged me to really get into folk music and to accompany myself. So that is, I have to say, is the thing that spurred me on. And then I began listening to all these little folk singers, <clears throat> like I said before, Richie Havens, Harry Belafonte, um, you know, um, and several, several, several other folk singers. Uh, and then, of course, listening to some of the old calypsos and see how it sounded almost like folk music. And so on. And, and then I researched people like, uh, Louis Farrakhan. Then he was singing under the name, the, uh, the Charmer. And, um, some of the other prominent American artists like, uh, Nat King Cole, um, singing Calypso. And so that body of knowledge I had, and then listening to Sparrow, Kitchener, Melody, you know, uh, Lion, uh, uh Pillar. You know, Fate Fire and several more, Foiler in particular, I was able then to come to it. And then, of course, I was still paying attention to the more, uh, newer artists like Juke, Stalin, Shop Gas, um, you know, all around the, uh, Short Shirt from Antigua, from Antigua, Beckett from St. Vincent, and all that knowledge. You know, it, it kept spurring me on and, and, and wanting me to write and sing and, and, and perform for the film music. Okay, um, in 19, uh, in the, in the 80s, you hook up with, uh, the great producer himself, Mr. Eddie Grant. And you, yes. you know, you guys, you guys had a team that was working together and you had, you, you, you put out many hits with Eddie Grant. How was it working with Eddie Grant in that atmosphere? It was the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. Honestly. I was home doing absolutely nothing, and a friend of mine called Roland Stevens, who was the bass player in Wendy Allen and the Dynamics Band, <laughs> he came. I heard this person calling me, and I was just like about to go to the shower. And let me go to the door, see who that is. And look, it was Roland. I said, Roland, what happened, man? He said, Man, Gabby. Eddie Grant wants to see you, man. I said, Eddie Grant? Who Eddie Grant? They will be Eddie Grant? Yeah, man, you live here now. And you, you get your song, Jack, you want to see you, man. I said, Eddie Grant wants to see you. 
That's, uh, that's that's one of my favorites. For those, for us Bajans, we know the meaning behind that song. For those other Caribbean people out there that will hear this song and just party to it, could you explain them the meaning the meaning of this song? Well, at the time, the chairman of the Board of Tourism in Barbados named was Jack Gill. And Jack had made a statement that is very true, but it also didn't ring very good with me. And he said he don't understand why Bezos are making such a fuss that the property owners have the right to bring their property down to the high water mark. Now, what he was really saying in essence was that 
once the tide is up, that we are not allowed to walk on the rest of the sand that remains because that is now private property. But that's an old English common law that was installed by Queen Victoria and it affected Australia, New Zealand, Canada, England and the English-speaking Caribbean. So I knew this and I said, look, this is ridiculous because our maritime laws say that a hundred meters from the shore is the most that they can go and not down to the high water mark. So that's a dispute that still has not been resolved. But we're hoping that now that we are a republic, we don't have to adhere to any British laws. We can have our own laws and that, that the law will be changed so that all of that land, once you leave your walls, belongs to the public. And I would hope that I live to see the day when that is initiated. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so funny that you sang this song way back. And if I'm correct, it was a couple of years ago that I think St. Lucia had taken this song. And I think they had basically the same kind of problem. And they were using this song as one of one of the problems. But not just in St. Lucia, only three weeks ago, I was on Grover Beach, where Sanders Hotel is. Yeah. I went there to, for the protest, first of all, a hotel um, that had built a wall and a gate to prevent people from accessing the beach from that area. And they had to go on to Turtle Beach in order to get to Dover, that side of Dover Beach, which it thought was ludicrous. But when I got there, there were these signs on the beach by uh, Sanders Hotel stating, no non-visitors beyond this point, or words to that effect. I said, but this is nonsense because two years ago I held a meeting with the general manager and the PR person at Sandals, whom I got along with quite well. And, um, you know, and they agreed that the signs were located in the wrong place, that they were too far down, uh, close to the, to the, to the, to the sea, to the water, and that they would move them. But they told me they didn't want to move them immediately because a lot of the Gabby come up there with a big powerful thing and force you to move the thing. So it took a few days or weeks or so, but we will move them. So after I got there and two years had passed, I stood up behind the signs. And here comes this guard, him and another guard. The other guard wasn't as aggressive and stupid. But this other guard came and told me I have to move. And I told him, I'm not moving. He said, I'll make you move. I said, you cannot make me move. I am on the beach. That is public, not Sandra's property. And he said, man, I'm make you move. And he hold me and he shoved me and he pushed me and he, 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 he totally harassed me and, and everything. And, you know, I'm speaking my rights in that case right now, um, as it stands. But, you know, the thing, that he would, would have done something like that to me when I was in my rights. So I tried to explain in a very civil manner to him. I said, excuse me, my brother, I love you, but what you're doing is wrong, and so on. And I spoke to the tourists who were lying on the stairs. I said, you ought to stay here forever. We're happy that you all came here in a pandemic. But what he is doing is wrong, and I am correct. And I explained who I was and all of that. And... um then the other guy to him said, man, you man, go back behind my door, you know, that'd be no problem. I said, but I'm not moving because I'm in my right. I am on public property and not private property. So he still continued pushing me and my friend Lalu, who is a lawyer, he did the same. So I am hoping that justice will be meted out, will be done in, in that case and soon. Yeah, um, I know that you're, you're one that always like, attack the government with your songs and do you remember can you remember how many songs you have banned because if i'm correct i think you have the record for the most banned songs in barbados yes i don't remember how many but i would have had a lot of songs banned the same jack was banned boots was banned cadavers was banned one day coming soon was banned you know uh songs like roberta flat who killed Pele, take down nelson with riots in the land uh, all of these songs were banned. And when they did play them, 
what they would do is pay them like one, two, three in the morning. And I remember that time I called the station manager and said, but my brother, even though you have quote unquote on band the song, they don't play like in the morning when people are going to work or in the evening when they're coming from work or, you know, lunchtime or anything like that. And he said to me, Gabby, you fought and you got the right to the songs to be played. They're trying to tell us now how we have to run our radio station. They're trying to tell us at what time we should play them. Man, if they play at two or three in the morning, man, you should be grateful, man. <laughs> I mean, they're being played. There's still a few people listening and so on. I said, that's not the point. You know that's not the point. What I'm trying to say is that you're not giving me any prime time play now that the song is no longer banned. And that's not fair. That's not right. He said, man, if you want to run the station, you should buy it, you know, man. And, and so I said, no. <laughs> that is being sarcastic. But I mean to say that you all know exactly what you all are doing. And that's why my music is not being played when people are up and about. You're playing it when most of them are asleep. So he just chuckled and said, well, boy, what can we do? We, uh, uh, you know, we, we freed it because at one point what they did, because every time they release a song, even if it's not banned, they will tell me that, um, that their legal minds are looking at it. Uh, the legal advisors are looking at it and it could get looked at for a week, two, three, four, five, six. It didn't matter. They have a call back and say, but you're still looking. It's like, yeah, we, you know how legal matters go on. You know, take a bit of time and stuff. But I know exactly what they were doing. And it wasn't right. So I had objected to that. And I would bring another song and another song. And the great thing about it is that the people would follow these songs and they would come to the tent and they would scream and they would holler out and they would applaud and they would, uh, you know, appreciate the fact that I was still bringing these songs, even though I knew that the vast majority of them would be banned. Yeah, that's uh. Trust me, I know that you, you had so many songs banned. Like sometimes you you really gotta scratch your head. You know what I mean? And the thing about that is that they will be banned in Barbados, but they'll be getting so much love in other places throughout the Caribbean and throughout. As an example, Boots in Jamaica, uh, Byron Lee, who called me and told me, you know, he said, "Gary, why your song number one on the uh, uh, on the radio?" Man. I said, "But Byron, that's impossible. Jamaica don't have." A, a smoker or for it so dark. He said, that's what I'm trying to say, man. It's it playing on, on the reggae chart. I said, what? You know, I was surprised. The same thing in Trinidad, it became the number one song and they call it the Christmas Roadmark because a non-Trinidad um, song cannot win the Roadmark in Trinidad, which is a, a sad thing. It, it should be that any Roadmark, any song could win any Roadmark in any part of the Caribbean. So we be one, we want people. But, um, you know, it was played extensively in Grenada in particular, uh, St. Vincent, St. Lucia, Dominica, St. Kitts, Negus, Anguilla, you know, the Virgin Islands, both, uh, British and, and, um, US Virgin Islands. So it, it became popular. And in all, all the places where we had people in great numbers, like, uh, cities like New York, Boston, Connecticut, uh, Philadelphia, London, Toronto, Montreal, you know, that whole area. We got tremendous airplay and, and it did a lot of shows in those places at the time. Yeah. Outside being a Calypsonian, you're one that's very deep in uh, the culture and the history and the education of Barbados. I know there, there's some stuff, if I'm correct, they're trying to do some rewriting of the history with all this stuff with like the Christopher Columbus and all of those other kind of stuff. Could you give us a, if you had to do the rewriting of history, how would that be? Well, I don't call it rewriting of history. I call it that we are bringing the history and they brought his story, which is a different thing. <laughs> There's a difference between his story his, and his history. history. First time the people are hearing the history. So when you have people, I mean, I hate to use words like this, but I might as well call it dogs like, like Christopher Columbus that killed so many millions of the, um, the indigenous people in the Americas and so on. You know, how can you lionize a person like that? You know, this man, and not only was a liar, and he never gave credit to who he should have given credit to. For example, there were two brothers from Genoa who failed with him. 
he was on one of the boats. I can't remember. I think it was he was the Nina or something. They were on Santa and Santa Maria. But what's more important is that his three navigators came from Sierra Leone, and nobody talks about that. He went to Sierra Leone to find out how to get down here, believing that down here would have been India. So when he saw these people, these Native Americans, he said, see, I reached India because they look so much like the Indians. And in the name down here is West Indies because he was sailing West to try to get to India. And so that's how we, we got this name. But we were really Caribbean people because our people, original people, were Arawak and Caribs. And if you want to name the place, then name it after the Caribs. So we are Caribbeans, right? But primarily speaking, to one must remember that the, the, the original uh, uh, people, indigenous people, actually had traveled thousands of years ago from Africa into Caribbean and North and South and Central America, right? And through climate change and other things, they hear about lighter and skin and all that. And, um, you know, so when the other Africans many years later came over, they began to trade with them. Trade with them in golden arrows, built their pyramids. You know, if you look at the pyramids in Mexico or the pyramids in Peru and so on, they look exactly like the pyramids in Egypt. And that's not coincidental because these are the same people who knew that these were their people that they were trading with. So long before any slavery by the British or um, the Portuguese or the Spanish, the Africans were coming to the Caribbean. They knew how to get here. They, they knew exact time of the year to travel, whether the less hurricanes, the storms or whatever. They knew and they were trading with the people, which would be the Native American people. Yeah, you know, I, Gabby, I already started my campaign because here in uh, Canada next month is uh, Black History Month, yeah. and I already started my I already started my campaign with Mr. Howard Stretchcare because I read up, I read some stuff, and I uh, saw some videos with you, and I said, you know what, it will be nice to have Gabby back next month to join Black History Month, where we won't be talking about your musical career. We're going to talk about more history and not his history. His story. I'm not his story, his story. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, like all, all these, you've been singing now for, I'll say, like uh, over 50, almost 60 years. You know what I mean? What's the transition of uh, the soca music that you have seen then and what, what's your take of it today? Well, that's been great transition. And the truth is, why I love Jamaica so much is because Jamaica speaks the truth. Every single time the music changed or changed uh, or changes, the Jamaicans name it. So when it was Mento, it was Mento. When it was Ka, it was Ka. When it's Blue Beat, it's Blue Beat. When it's Reggae, it's Reggae. When it is Dancehall, it is Dancehall. But what we did was to keep calling the music Stoker. And anybody listening to what the youngsters are doing, to, to listen to what the youngsters are doing today, and what Kitchener Sparrow, Duke, Stalin, and, 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 and many, many others did to explain them, Udara, you know, Merchant and so on, and Duke, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Short Shirt and Beckett and, and, and many others, Swallow and so on did. That music a short, shorty, Lord Shorty, I, that's a totally different music to what the youngsters are doing today. Mm-hmm. And honesty needs to be to be meted out. Eddie Grant brought that beat and called it Ring Bang. And nobody gave him credit for it. Right? But he also brought the same soccer beat and called it Kai Soul. And then it was changed to Soka, meaning Soul Calypso. By Shorty. And Shorty himself acknowledged that it was Eddie Grant. That people keep giving the wrong people the, the honors and, and the respect. 
And then Eddie Grant turned out and brought Ring Bang. And the first three songs, if you want to look back at it historically, that became hits were A Ring, A Ring, A Ring Bang by Viking Thunder, Papa Chunks by Rowing Lion, who was by that time of almost 90 years old, and then my song Dr. Cassandra. Those are the three. And if they look back and be honest, they will see that everything else is a hybrid or a, a, a baby, a child of those three songs. I go. Ah, I got the thumbs up. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful done between two Bajans. The senior one and the junior one. And I certainly appreciate it. And Gabby, you're coming back in February. Please acknowledge that date. All right. But before yes, we go, uh, one of your biggest fans has a poem she's going to read. I think it's one of your poems. And she want to talk a little bit about your book. I, boy, it's so many things we, anyway, next month when you come is me and you alone, nobody else, okay? Because I want to talk to Gabby about the history of the Caribbean. No, no, we have to bring back the rest. They'll get jealous. Okay. Um, that's Miss Jewel Jones. She's going to read you a poem that, uh, was put together, um, by you. I, these are things you got to talk to me about, man. I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I am amazed. Go ahead, Jewel, before I talk off my head. And we don't have much time. Hi, Gabby. Yeah. Hi, Jewel. Good, good to see oh, you again. You? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yes. I, I want to tell the folks that you're not just a Calypsonian, a Calypsonian. You are also a writer. And you right. have you have a book out, the latest book you wrote. Yeah. And I always have the pleasure of receiving a poem in the morning. That's correct. And so they um, get at least one poem every yes. day. And let me say quickly before you start to us, mm-hmm. I am now ninety three poems away from two thousand and I started on the thirtieth oh of August twenty seventeen and wow. I wrote I wrote three today. Mm. And I understand that um you have to be special for someone to get your poem every morning. Yes, and you are. <laughs> <coughs> Just checking. Just checking. <laughs> um <laughs> I came across one that you sent me about two days ago. And I thought it was so funny. And I said, I'm going to read this one. It says, the guns came out. Yes. uh, It goes like this. I moved back to Barbados when Isaac McLeod gave me a call to return to Brooklyn to perform at his popular Tilden Hall. Mm, Sparrow was the headliner. Mm. Lord Kitchener was there too. Duke Stalin and Arrow Blue Boy before he becomes Super Blue. <laughs> Beckett and Winston Soso, David Ruther's name high on the list. This was Kaiso, Kaiso. No real fan wanted to miss. Bryna was in the lineup. Rehearsals going well. But two nights before the show, we were facing hell. Norman Edwards took us to Bed-Stuy area to visit a longtime friend of ours, a girl named Veronica. 
I had not seen her in many a year. We left her house around 11 that night, not at all expecting to meet such a horrible fright. Norman was driving and smoking, a thing he did frequently. I objected constantly. It made no difference to him. Just because you quit years ago, I must do the same thing too. My sit back, relax, the ride. Let me enjoy my cigarette, no. I can remember like yesterday who were in the car. And Burroughs, Griner, and myself, Norms, pretended to be a star. Smokey Roy, quiet as usual, ain't uttering a word. Norman chattering, chirpy, happy, then start to sing like a bird. Griner in the back, sitting next to me. To tell you the truth, we were one happy Bajan company. Hanging out in Brooklyn, Norm's driving slowly. He got to see everything that passed. When the hot night air was disturbed right away by a loud police siren blast. A bullhorn said, pull over. All fun in the car cease. A loud white New Jersey accent continued, stop now. This is the police. Norman, void of cursing, wasn't one to easily bow. Out of his cigarette, started to fret, saying to me, What do you ask them want now? Sudden saw that start coming, police after police car. Norman gets so frightened, no longer pretending to be a star. Gabby looks at all these police, police cars. What the F going on but here? This looking bad might turn out to be sad. The prediction turned to be truth right away. Okay, out of the car right now. I mean, one at a time. Five innocent agents on a Brooklyn street being treated as though we committed a crime. The guns then came out quickly as two police approached me. We could see immediately then wasn't playing with anybody. I was the last to get out in the car. I had my two hands by my side. Put your hands where I could see them, or you could never live to get a bride. He obviously thought I was some kid since I was so skinny. I couldn't care less who I was to him. I was nobody. The first lie was then issued by the big fat officer. Your rear lights are not working. But they were lurking when we left Veronica. Norman somehow find his voice. Officer, I don't want to make no row. But them lights were working when we left by Veronica just now. Also, you didn't signal. Are you some kind of phone? But officer... Look and see my car signal still on. We thought that was the end of that. How wrong black people can be. Right away then races white dogs unlawfully start searching me. I used to wear afro and much to my despair. That hog of a man with a gun in his hand put his hands right through my ear. <laughs> he must have been a faggot again or something so. That man took me stance without delay. Without a glass, he put his hand in my pants. <laughs> I mean, in my underwear. Finding no contraband on us. After putting us through that fright, Mr. Figert had the nerve, the nerve, and the swerve to tell us, have a good night. <laughs> is, written, that, is that from the book? Written, Yes, written January the 20th, 2022, from 5.15 a.m. to 6.45 a.m. Wow. That's as quick, and he writes things in like five minutes. And what I like about Gabby is if I ask Gabby a question, he answers back with a poem. <laughs> Good. Well, you know, we have to wrap it up now. It's a minute to six and the Reggae Massive might be getting mad. So, Gabby, I want to thank you on behalf of the listeners of CKUT 9.3 FM. You are a historian of the Caribbean walk in that we need to talk to. 
And I, I certainly, on behalf of everybody concerned, that I certainly appreciate it. But you'll be back in February, and we will be doing our little chit-chat because we need to continue. We need to educate the younger ones, just like you're doing here with Brother Drew. And I, this is what the whole idea of having people like you with us. It's not all about the music or the partying. It's about the knowledge, where we're coming from. Because once you know where you're coming from, trust me, you'll know where you're going. And I thank you.